Thank you for praying for us. Good morning. Few, if any, qualities in life are as precious as this one. In its purest form, when you see it, it is just an awesome thing to behold, though the person that exhibits this character often doesn't even recognize that they have it. But when you spot it, you see something very special about them. They're unflappable. They're not overcome with the challenges of circumstances like many of us are. They not only have a cheerfulness on the outside, but they have a peace on the inside. And they remain madly in love with life. Organically grown, this attitude is established with a decision, nurtured with right thoughts, and time released into a world at large. It will be fiercely tested on the battlefield of life. But fully developed, it cannot be taken away. What is this attitude? I think you already know. It's the attitude of joy. Today we're looking at the scriptures and the gospel of Luke chapter 1. We're going to see joy repeatedly in the lives of many people in this passage. It begins with Jesus' advent, a word that means his coming. He came to earth. And his advent brought great joy. Elizabeth's baby, filled with the Holy Spirit, jumped for joy in her womb as she encounters the mother of baby Jesus. <clears throat> Let's look at this story about the mothers of John and Jesus when they meet. Beginning in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now, each generation has longed for this exact time. Succession of generation after generation of the Jewish people had hoped for the coming of Messiah, the king, the one who was prophesied. They'd had a king in the past. They had disobeyed God, and he had, for a time, removed the king from them. But they had always hoped that the king would come back and prophesy and prophecy told of the coming of this king. And this baby is the promised Messiah. Think of it. Have you ever waited for something that you really wanted? I mean, you longed for it so much. Hopefully it was a good thing. But you had to wait for it. And then finally, you get that which you had longed for, which you had so desired for. 
It brought joy, didn't it? Well, Jesus brought great joy to those who were looking for the Lord's anointed fulfillment of prophecy and the highest gift God could give. No wonder it brought joy. Well, what happened before they met? I want to want you to stick with me, if you will. We're going to go back in time a little bit and explain some of the things that brought about this joy. What happened before they met? Elizabeth, the wife of Zechariah, the priest, is barren. She cannot have children, and now she's advanced in age. And in this day, that was a tragedy. People sometimes looked upon somebody who was barren as if they were being judged, punished. This barrenness, no child was looked upon as a great tragedy. It was the joy of every woman to have a child, but Elizabeth was denied this. Well up in years, God pulls out a surprise. Zechariah goes to the temple and he, just by chance, has the luck of the draw to be able to go into the holy place. And there, serving God, he sees an angel and he receives the revelation that they're going to have a child. She becomes pregnant. Listen to her joy. Here are her words. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace from among the people. Let's come back to Mary's meeting with Elizabeth. Upon arriving where Elizabeth was, Mary greets Elizabeth. Now, the proper custom was for Mary to greet Elizabeth first because Elizabeth is the superior in every way. Elizabeth is a descendant of Aaron. Elizabeth is married to a priest. Mary is just a poor child, teenage bride. And Elizabeth is the senior in years. You would expect Mary to honor Elizabeth. And yet, Elizabeth reverses the role. And Elizabeth honors Mary. And she says, a blessing upon Mary and upon the fruit or child in her womb. Under inspiration, she also recognizes that the babe which Mary carries is her Lord. And she even acknowledges her submission in life to this baby, not yet born, by calling him my Lord. By referring to the unborn child as my Lord, she is showing her honor of this child. The miracle of Christmas and the virgin birth is that God formed Christ in Mary. So what was the fulfillment of what happened? Uh, what was spoken to Mary? What was spoken refers to the unbelievable words of the angel Gabriel that she would have a child without having had sexual intercourse. The fulfillment is her pregnancy. Now, note what 
Mary says, and her joy. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. We mentioned last week how poor this family was. God didn't reach into the upper echelon. He didn't call someone from uh, some high position or some wealthy person. He recognizes the humble estate of Mary. This poor woman, as we said last week, couldn't even afford to offer the proper ritual of a lamb upon the birth of this child. Had to capture two turtle doves and, and offer them. It was a, an exception made in the law for poor people. So she recognizes that she is from a humble estate and recognizes God has exalted her, her to be the mother of Messiah. What an honor. Well, we've seen Elizabeth's joy as she encounters Mary and the child. We've seen Mary and her joy. Now, note a joyful John the Baptist. In terms of Luke's plot, this meeting serves as a crucial pivot in the story. Though the mothers of John and Jesus meet, the account portrayed is really a meeting of the two children, since John reacts to the meeting as Elizabeth makes clear. Think about this. The baby leaps in her womb. How many women here have had that experience? I don't know if it was a leaping, but you felt it, didn't you? You felt something. Wow. He leapt with joy. In fact, John's reaction anticipates and mirrors his role that he will have in Luke chapter 3. When he grows to maturity, John is all about Jesus. The word of God came to John and he started preaching. He preached <coughs> baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Basically, he came to God's people, Israel, and he wanted to prepare them for Messiah, for his coming, so that they would be ready to receive him. <coughs> he proclaims repentance so that they can get ready so they can be prepared for this child. He is the forerunner, not the car, but someone to announce that Messiah was about to make an appearance. Again, the idea was to give God's people, the Jews, time to get ready with God. When people asked John, what should we do? He told them, the man with two tunics, two coats, Give one to another person. The person who has food, share your food with somebody who doesn't. The idea is love your neighbor. And this would go a long way towards preparing them with right hearts. Basically, practice genuine love. By the way, at Christmas time, it's good to reflect on this. Maybe you know somebody who has a particular need at this time. You have more than they do. Maybe you know somebody who is suffering and in need. Um, perhaps they can't make ends meet. A little cash gift, quietly given, might go a long way towards 
meeting that need. If you don't know of anybody that has a need, contact me and I will put you in touch with someone. And consider making a one-time donation to our newest ministry partner, Blue Haven Ranch. Aubrey Schlackman and Blue Haven Ranch provide a supportive community, gospel discipleship, and a farm therapy for single pregnant mothers with children. Imagine this, if you will, a woman who has children and perhaps her husband has left her and she's pregnant. What does she do? Well, she doesn't want to abort this child, but she can't in any way imagine how she's going to take care of her existing children and also bear this child. And so some are left with an extremely difficult and heartrending decision to abort their child. And that's what Blue Haven Ranch is here for. That's what they're attempting to prevent, to help the mothers who are in a desperate situation, don't know what to do, don't have anybody they can turn to. But Blue Haven Ranch, just across 377, is there for them. When I first met them, they were housing four families and providing them monthly rental coverage as well as food and other things to help them. Plus, they are meeting here on Monday nights, hosting a dinner, because we have a kitchen. Isn't that great? And having a Bible study. Now, you don't have to be a Christian in order to experience this. Some are Christians, some are not. But what a wonderful testimony about Christian love and about who Christ is. Their ultimate goal is to expand and to find property, maybe in Pond or somewhere close by, and maybe get 100 acres or so and have 15 to 20 cottages where the mothers and the families and the kids can all stay. And they're provided for during the pregnancy and up to a year postpartum. Isn't that a great goal? Man, we can get behind that. Wonderful thing that we can do. Well, many are in need of a good dose of joy during this season. The Christmas season is often a time of increased pain. Far from being a universal time of joy, the season of Christmas often increases the pain in things like family and separation, divorce, financial woes. Actually, suicide increases at this time of year. This year has had some challenges for me, and I've been trying to retain joy in spite of the challenges. You are facing challenges. God has a verse for you. James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brethren, <coughs> whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What is your response when you encounter trials? Maybe you're kind of like me. Rats. That's as close as I get to cursing. But I'm not happy. And I'm sure you've been there too. I mean, who likes to go out in the morning and you've got to head off to work and you're running close on time? 
nothing. <laughs> you don't want a dead battery as you're trying to rush off to work, do you? And we might say, <coughs> God, why? But the fact is, God uses those trials to mature us. If we didn't have trials, life would be what? Warm milk and cookies, right? Everybody likes that. But trials are the stake. Trials are the things that God uses to mature us. One of the characteristics he is maturing, it's always difficult to translate the word, translate the word is it patience or is it endurance? Well, the truth is the word means patient endurance. <laughs> the very thing that we don't tend to respond to when our car battery is dead and our car won't start. Patience is not my first response. But God wants to build that into us. And he can't build it into us if everything is always rosy. We just don't learn that way. He knows, and I think we know it too, that in order to develop, to grow, to be stronger, we need trials to help us get there. That's what God uses. He puts us on the anvil of trials and takes the hammer of more trials to us. But the end result is we become stronger as we trust in him and hang on to him as our lifeline. As we seek to do what he wants us to do, we persevere. And then when the next trial comes on, guess what? We can remember, hey, I've been down this road before. I know what trials are like. I don't like them. But I can get through this because God has shown me I can trust in him. Those are the advantages of trials. And I, I, boy, I struggled when I first memorized this verse. Consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. That is not my response. But you know what? I believe God. And I believe he uses these to work in our heart. So remember the why. Never doubt and never forget the why. That we might have whole joy. Pure joy, that's what the word means. Whole, complete joy, undiminished. Joy to the full. Because when trials come, you are being fashioned into something beautiful, mature, fit for our God. I heard a, an illustration when I was a brand new Christian a lot of years ago. And all these years later, it still sticks with me. And it's a silly illustration, but I want to share it with you. Maybe you'll relate. Imagine there's these two diamonds in the dirt. Actually, they're not diamonds yet. They're large lumps of coal. And one diamond says to the other diamond, man, I don't like this pressure. Time goes by. Man, it's getting hot down here. I'm done with this. He hops out and he runs off. The other diamond to be, that lump of coal, remains there. And what happens over a large quantity of time? It gets compacted, right? 
and it becomes crystallized. And what does it become? A diamond. My friends, you are that diamond in the rough. God is making you into a beautiful diamond full of his character. So stay the course. Don't give up. Let him do his work in you. And you'll be that diamond. As a church family, we are called to endure for a particular purpose. We are called to endure to, in order to make disciples. We are to make disciples because of an unselfish love for God and others. This is our motive. This is why we do what we do. So a quick review. Our purpose, we glorify God by making disciples of all people. Let me say it again. We glorify God by making disciples of all people. Would you say that with me? We glorify God by making disciples of all people. That is what God wants to achieve through us. And that is why he is at work in our lives. Now, one thing I'm finding particularly good in this process to help me to integrate trials into my life and understand God's good purpose is a book. I've mentioned it once before in these sermons. Um, it's called 40 Days to a Joy-Filled Life. Here's a copy of it. What do you see on the front? Smiley face? Yeah, yeah. This is a great book. It's based on um, Philippians 4, 7, and 8. And it goes through 40 days to help us to have our attitude be transformed by God's grace in our lives. Wonderful book. In fact, it is so wonderful, I'm going to give this copy to the first person I see that raises their hand. Right there. Julie? Come on up and get it. If I go back there, I'll get a squealing feedback, and that's never good. There you go. Thank you, Julie. Now, kind of the seat in front of her, there are two more copies. So if anybody really wants this book for you, it's there. If anybody has a friend, get this book. If anybody needs a Christmas gift, <laughs> get that book. So there are two more copies for anybody that wants them back there. One insight he shares in this book, living with joy is our birthright. We as Christians have the right to joy more than anybody else. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, <coughs> the Apostle Paul writes, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. As children of God, we are rightful heirs to the blessing of overflowing joy. If we've been reconciled to him through Christ, God has made us worthy, and there's great cause for joy in that. And as a result, we have a calling and a responsibility to demonstrate joy by the way we live 
Being joy-filled does not mean that your life is perfect. Nobody can claim that. It doesn't even mean that your life is great. What it does mean is that you emphatically trust God in any and everything. And believe that he has great plans for your life, regardless of what may be happening right now. Now, what if you're struggling? What if you're struggling to find joy and can't get in the Christmas spirit? <laughs> you know, maybe you have problems at work, problems at home. And hearing about the coming of a little baby is nice, but frankly, it just doesn't solve much. You're hearing perhaps about the fiscal cliff at work and you're concerned, or you have kids that have problems, or you have grandkids that have problems. Hey, this is life, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Life can be downright tough to deal with. And some may feel that a baby that came 2,000 years ago doesn't impact life that much. I have three answers for that. Number one, what the baby did. He grew up. <laughs> he grew in favor with God and with men. He lived the kind of life that serves as a model for all of us. You know, people don't like Christianity much. Isn't that true? But people like Christ. At least they have a reasonably good opinion of him. You know, they've heard that he came to bring peace. True? Yeah. They've heard he helped people out, even people that were rejected by the religious establishment. Also true. <coughs> and his life and his teachings are a great model for us to live by. Isn't it great to have stories of how this baby grew up and became a great man? And he taught us to love others and love God. Second, Jesus purchased the greatest gift for us. This baby was born, grew up, and then gave himself as the first Christmas gift. Himself. <laughs> Today, we want all kinds of things like cell phones and iPads and smart TVs and... Um, Sparkles the Unicorn? Okay. <laughs> Hot Wheels and the rest. Sometimes we say things like, oh my, that costs too much. Maybe we don't want to get our children's hopes up. Or maybe we just tell them that because we, we don't want them to know. That's what they're getting. And then the day comes and they get that gift. And it brings what? Great joy. Well, friends, that's what Jesus did for us. He came and he provided the greatest thing in the world, an opportunity to be reconciled to our God, an opportunity for us to have forgiveness of sins and to be placed in the body of Christ. You know, we may tell stories about how much this gift cost or how much that gift costs, but his is on a whole different level. Why? Because he didn't give something that cost a lot. 
gave himself. In God's economy, all sin must be justly dealt with. God can't just wink at sin. If he did that, the universe would perhaps collapse. He can't say morality is relative and it's okay, I'll I'll give you a pass. No, what he has to do is he has to deal with the fact that there is sin and rebellion in the universe. And if he didn't deal with it, I imagine heaven would be overrun with the very same things we see today. But he did deal with it. And here's how he dealt with it. The wages of sin is death. Just a principle of God. And we sin. I'm a pastor and I stand before you, but I tell you that I sin. I try not to sin as much as I used to. But I still fall short. I think we all do. And that's why we need a Savior. And Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth, took upon himself human flesh, came as a baby, born of a miracle of God. Without sin, the only person, so that he could be the unblemished Lamb of God who could die for our sins and make a complete payment, as Patrick ably shared from Scripture, for most sin? No, (laughs) for all sin. All of my sin was placed on Christ. And because I have trusted in him, I know for a fact I'm bound for heaven. Well, pastor, that's kind of arrogant, don't you think? No, because I'm not saying it's because I'm good. I'm saying I'm bad. But Christ is good, amen? God is loving. He sent his son to die on the cross for us. And if we receive that, we have everlasting life. By the way, how long does that last? We are forgiven. Can you rejoice in that? Well, there's a third reason I want to share with you. Jesus is coming again for us. You may say, well, I'm a believer, and, and, but life is still tough. Well, it's not at the end yet. And if it's not all right, it's because we haven't reached the end. And when we reach that time, and God knows the exact time, Christ is coming, and we're going to be with him, and it's going to be glorious. (laughs) The stories of this little baby may not have delivered you from the pain and problems of life, but get ready. Christ is coming again. Hebrews says, a body you have prepared for me. God gave his son a body. He took upon himself a physical body so that one day we might have a spiritual body. He came to be with us in order that one day we could go to be with him. He became what we are that someday we might become what he is, sinless. Dwelling in a body like his. 
just his grace just bowls me over. God will not only give us a new body, he's going to create a new universe. Kind of like burning up the old with all its impurities and recreating a new ecosphere just for us so we can enjoy that. Imagine him doing that for us. God creating a new universe called the new heavens and the new earth. I'm not making this up. Look at the end of the Bible. (laughs) And he's doing it for us because he loves us that much. Now consider what won't be there. He says, no more death. No more crying. No more pain. The old order of things has passed away. There won't be any sin in heaven. There won't be any taxes or IRS agents (laughs) or suffering. You get aches and pains, gone. You're going to feel great. You're going to feel good about getting on your knees and bowing before the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and do so with great joy. I love the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, quadriplegic since a diving accident at age 17. And she says she so looks forward to the coming of Christ. But I like her motive. You know what she says? Because I'll be able to do something. I'll be able to bow before my Lord for the first time. It's something to look forward to. It is joy. The New Jerusalem in Revelation 21 is this majestic cube that measures 1,500 miles on each side. It has 12 gates. And what are gates for? To come in and go out, right? So when this cube, and I think that will be our eternal home, when this cube comes down to settle on the new heavens and the new earth, when that cube lands, so to speak, on the new earth, and those 12 gates are open, I think we'll be able to go out and see the ecosphere, this new place that God has created that's perfect. Now, the Garden of Eden was a paradise. How much more so will this be? But you know, that doesn't even top the list. You know what brings the purest joy of all? Not the creation. The Creator. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will be in the presence of God. We'll be able to see God. Jesus told his disciples, blessed are the pure in spirit, for they shall see God. The author of joy, who is our Father, we're going to be united with him. And we are going to have great joy pure joy with the presence of God. Wow. So in closing, remember, joy is your birthright. We have a calling and a responsibility to demonstrate joy by the way we live. Being joy-filled does not mean that your life is perfect. Who could claim such a thing? It doesn't mean that your life is even great. What it does mean is that you emphatically trust God and believe he has great plans for your life. 
Remember, this is your one shot at life. Present the face of joy everywhere you go. And that way, when people see your life and your genuine joy, they'll want to say, I'll have what he's having. Father God, we thank you for joy. Lord, I know people are dealing with trials and tribulations, problems, setbacks, things that we don't like in the news and things we can't change in our own personal lives. But Father, amidst it all, you say to have joy. So Father, I pray that you would help us. We know that that's not really a natural thing to our natural self. But Father, you can create that in us through the filling of your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, we would yield over to you our lives and that you would fill us with yourself so we can experience the creator of heaven present in our lives with eternal joy. All God's people said,